You're listening to a Roddenberry Podcast. The Trek Files, Season 10, Episode 18, Call Sheet, The Child, September 21st, 1988. Welcome to The Trek Files, a look into the archives of Roddenberry Entertainment from the personal files of Gene Roddenberry. And now your host, Dr. Trek, Larry Nemechek. back, Star Trek fans. Hey, you, you canonistas, I say that lovingly, you Star Trek historians, you're going to love today's episode. I mean, you, I think you'd love all of them. But today, you know, we're going to re- really, we're dipping back in time as we love to do here and look at today's events through the lens of Star Trek history. Uh, can I be more, any, can I be any more vague explaining about this? Look, we're going to be talking about the events that we're living through right now as we record this. Plus, I've got a first-time very special guest for the Trek Files with us. You don't want to miss any of this, so if you're a veteran, you know what to do. If you're new to joining us, I'll tell you what to do. You want to check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash thetrekfiles. Now, you can pick us up anywhere, obviously, but our homework, our documents of the week, are there on our Facebook page. You want to check them out. Uh, And if it's a little bit of an enigma, take a listen to this audio sample, but be right back, hang on, and I'll be here with this week's special guest. Title, The Child. Day, Wednesday, September 21st, 1988. First day out of eight. Set, interior, bridge. Cast and day players, Patrick Stewart, Jonathan Frakes, Brent Spiner, Diana Moldar, Marina Sirtis, Michael Dorn, Will Wheaton. No forced calls without UPM approval. No food, drink, smoking on sets. Closed set. No visitors without pass from production office. All right, you truckophiles. Now everyone knows the story of the child. We know it was the first episode filmed for the second season of Next Generation, but you know what? More than that, it was, and and more than the story itself as it evolved, more than that was the time in which this was (laughs) conceived. More than that, it was the uh, the history that was going on right in Hollywood and, and of course, for Star Trek as well here in the spring and summer of 1988. And there was a writer's strike. Star Trek was being affected by the strike of that era, just as we're we're watching what's happening with the double actors and writers' strike right now as we record this. And I want to welcome to the show a first-time guest, though he's no stranger to you, and he's certainly no stranger to podcasting, uh, who reached out and said, hey, let's talk about some of these issues and things today. So I'm so thrilled to have with us the one, the only, Jake Sisko himself, Sirach Lofton, coming over to us from the seventh rule on top of that. Sirach, it's so great to have you on the Trek Files. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. (laughs) (laughs) Sure thing. Well, we talked about having you come on and what are some things you'd like to talk about. And gosh, what's in our face right now as we speak? Everything about now not just the writer's strike, but the actors on strike as well, SAG-AFTRA and uh, Writers Guild. Yeah, I think it's an important issue to cover. Um, It's something that's affecting us today. It's something that affected us at that period in time in uh, 1988, was it? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So 
you know, I wanted to kind of dig into the effects of the strike and how, you know, the material that we saw was altered um, by it, the impact that it had. Um, we're going through the same thing now, except now we have the writers and the actors uh, joined together. So it's it's um, an even more rare occasion. But I think the, the ideas and principle of standing in uh, solidarity to kind of work on union rights is important. So uh, let's talk about the call sheet. What, what, what is it that jumps out on that call sheet that's uh, of significance? Well, again, people from day one have talked about the story here, the, which is about Troy being impregnated by a little alien. Yeah. And, and she's giving birth. Yeah, she carries and is just in a matter of days. She's pregnant. She has the baby. The baby grows. It becomes, you know, uh, elementary age. And then they find out there's a problem with him coexisting with all of us, all the crew. And he says, oh, I didn't mean to hurt anybody. I, this is just my way of saying hello to people and finding out the galaxy. And then he leaves. And they're all just kind of wondering, what was that? But that's the story on the surface. But what we're talking about here is the strike in 87, 88 by the writers. This was the year that Star Trek was very much affected. The second season, which should have been 26 episodes, because of the strike and the delay in starting, was only 22. And the, and the child, and look at the call sheet. Normally they would have started filming in June or July. Well, they didn't start filming the first episode here till September. Yeah. You know, and we're, we're including the camera. So a week before they start shooting, they come back and they're testing camera on some of the new sets. Well, look what one of the new sets is on the other sheet. It's, it says interior bar. Well, we know it is 10 forward. They were just still calling it the bar then, but they had time to build you know, plan and design and build that new set over the height. So it's like, that's a silver lining. But um, the biggest thing is that they were so desperate to be behind, they went back and dragged out a uh, one of the old scripts from the Phase 2 series, which had never been used, which was supposed to be Kirk and Spock and McCoy and, or not Spock, it was supposed to be Kirk and McCoy and Ilea and Decker as regular characters. And of course, Ilea Decker kind of became Riker and Troy. Yeah. So, uh, you know, well, <laughs> I mean, what kind of being now bring that up to date to today? What are we dealing with today? You know, what are the repercussions and the impact? Well, let me just first say um, I was not pleased with the pilot episode of the season two. Uh, mm-hmm. No offense to the actors, but I felt like the script was rushed and insensitive to the personalization of each character. I felt like it was a generic type of slap this thing together. Um, Mm -hmm. I was uncomfortable with certain elements of aspects of it. I I felt like the the light alien that uh, entered uh, Troy um, did so in, in a in a unpleasant manner, if I can recall, inside her bedroom. Right. Um, if it, if it was an alien entity, it didn't need to actually enter her in such a kind of inappropriate. Yeah. I mean, they don't way. show that. They it just goes under her blanket. Yeah. It's 1988, and they're not pushing the envelope yeah. that way. But yes, but it does go under the covers inside of the you know this light orb. And, you know, yeah. it, it's suggestive. And I, I felt like it was 
if it's an alien, it could have entered in a different manner that was less suggestive to me of of uh, a violation. And so um, that was the first problem I had with it. The other issue I had with it was Riker not being as supportive of somebody that he has <laughs> feelings for. Yeah. You know, he felt, it was like he almost was like, "All right, that's your problem. You handle it. I, I'm out." <laughs> and, well, it's, yeah. I mean, it's, it, it is, you know, the show was evolved. Maury Hurley was the showrunner here. So it was still he and Gene pretty much. And it was, they had just had the shakedown from the first season. So on top of like, normally when you go into a second season, you're making changes, you're hopefully learning your way. But here you've had, again, the strike interrupts everything and blows everything up and writers can't work on it. So knowing that they're, that they're gonna be behind when the strike is finally over, they're racing to catch up. They've lost four slots, which has affected the financing formula. So he's pulled this out of, you know, these are 10 year old scripts from the 70s that they're trying to look and what can we, you know, to me, it's like, well, of the scripts from that pile, if that was going to be what they're, they're trying to utilize, this was the best thing they thought they had to like rush out. But it does. It really does feel like an original series ish. We'll kind of force it. Yeah, not, not only that, but filter. they introduced the, the new doctor in this episode, if I'm not mistaken. Right. And so yeah, this is Pulaski's first show. Yeah. So they got rid of Crusher out of nowhere, Doctor Crusher. So right. and we're we're expecting to see her in starting. You know, they just killed Tasha at the end. You know, towards the end of the first season, and so we've already had to have to deal with that as an audience to kind of you know get over that. It's not fun when you kill a main character and i've experienced that with the with dax's you know character kind of getting killed off and it wasn't a fun experience for anybody involved um including the audience you know who grows attached yeah. to the characters so i'm sure the tasha thing bothered me right off top because it didn't even happen at the end which i felt like they could have done it at the end and let it be the finale um right and then right going on to the beginning of this season two, here comes a new character, uh, an explanation about Dr. Crusher, like she's doing off doing some teaching or something and she just left her son, I guess, alone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, with his adopted family, his found family, right. as we'd say now. So, yeah. so that, that just reflects uh, the importance of having continuity in the writer's room, I think. Mm -hmm. um, if there wasn't a break, I believe they would have flushed out a, a, a lot better uh, solid story to introduce their new character, a better departure for their old character if there was some kind of uh, disagreements there. Yeah. Uh, and they could have flushed out a better story. I, I felt like this story was not complete. And it actually reflects in the few episodes going forward, um, not just this first episode, but the first two or three or four episodes are slightly mm -hmm. off kilter and not really giving you a feel for where they had left off. Yeah, I, I feel like the third, so the third season, uh, the third episode of the season was Elementary Dear Data, which I feel like they were, nah. they really got, they, they made a big deal out of those sets and all the lush Sherlock Holmes costumes and it really does give you a Diana Muldoor there as you know, the, the first couple, the one after this was where silence has lease, which is the infamous, the whole thing is on the bridge for seven days of shooting. And they had the guy 
It's almost like Senor Wences's hand on the Nagilum on the view screen. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's like the whole thing is just a bottle show where they're trying to get off the bridge and they're stuck. So mm. yeah, they're definitely hurting. Yeah. You know, they're hurting these at the these, these couple of episodes. <laughs> <laughs> and it's their second year, and they're st they're not totally on the bubble for ratings because they were syndicated. But you, I mean, it it impacts the show, and just when they're trying to get off the ground, you know. So that's that's very much an impact. Now, I like to say, why do we have strikes? Like we talk now, with the actors and writers both out. The last time was 1960. Well, what happened in 1960? You know, it's like anytime there's a strike, it's because they're reacting to something. Something there's something new that the producers won't give way on. So in 1960, Lucy and Desi had just invented reruns. And everybody said, hey, we should be getting paid for part of that. You know, and every time there's been a strike, it's because something came to a head over something new, like video cassettes and DVDs or syndication or cable. And now it's, now it's streaming, you know, but it's so big that they're both on strike. But um, it's it is i'm glad you brought this up because it lets us talk about why you know we look at this as history but this is all affecting all the actors and writers and you know the whole community everybody who depends on that for a job they're hurting but the strike you know what what is from the actor's point of view what how do you look at that well uh it's, it's like you said um as far as as the industry changes and evolves um you know, there's different ways of having to calculate revenue. Um, and streaming has become essentially the dominant force in in the, mm -hmm. the media space at this point. And, you know, we've seen every single major um, company, movie production company, begin to start their own streaming service. And they've been successful at it. Um, yeah, you know, I, I'm for the people. That's it. I, I feel like if there's a bigger pie, then the slices should get bigger too. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> if we got more pizza, then I want another slice. And yeah. you can't just have two pizzas to yourself. Uh, so, you know, I feel like, yeah, I'm on the side of uh, progress. I'm uh, the side of fairness i'm also on the side of making a living wage you know because the other thing that is happening as well is the amount of production episodes is shrinking and so right. people are now a full season could be eight episodes it could be 10 episodes and you know during the time that i was recording you know, we were fortunate to do 26, as you said, in one season, mm -hmm. which would be the equivalent of now two and a half, maybe three seasons of a show. Right. Um, but what that does for the actor, it allows you to have a financial security, knowing that 26 episodes that you're going to have mm -hmm. a, a check coming in, you know, and that allows you right. to have that security. Now, if you're only doing eight episodes, that those eight episodes can fly by really quickly and you have the whole rest of the year where there's no income perhaps. And so you really have to find ways to budget. And it's even worse for the writers who are not, um, you know, getting the same kind of money mm -hmm. that big movie stars or big actors are getting. So, uh, you know, I'm on the side. of And then of all the, and then really all the crews, yeah. everybody is looking around for a job. You're only working. You're, you've only got that, you know, you, 
it was always the thing to say actors, like the guest stars, the working actors are always looking for a job, but the regulars at least had something for several months of the year. And then if you wanted to go in the hiatus and do a movie or do something else or do a play, you know, or write or do something, you could do that. And everybody, no matter what the avocation is in Hollywood, the streaming model has just blown everything up where people are all running around like chickens with heads cut off. I mean, people are having to scramble. The old formulas don't work anymore. And that's what's the, that's what the stress is behind all this. I think that's part of it. Yeah. The other part that I've heard yeah. from what I have read and, and talked to people about is the implementation of uh, artificial intelligence and how oh, yeah. uh, far that can go. Um, we can see it uh, having the capability of writing. Uh, it can also create visual images. And there will be a point in time in which it could actually reproduce the conversation that we're having at this exact moment with the same kind of realism. And in those instances, will the likeness of the actor um, still be granted uh, ownership? Will they, right. will, will Kirk, will the AI Kirk 20 years from now um, who can look like Kirk at any age that they want, um, will that benefit William Shatner? Will he be able to reap some kind of financial benefit from using his likeness or will that be considered a separate thing? Right. And so that those kinds of discussions need to be, um, talked about because it's, it's not fair. Yeah. If it's or not. even beyond Shatner. Uh, if there's a one-off character who's in one episode, and for some reason, 20 years from now, they decide to blow that character up into some major character in a new series, are we? Is that actor who played it for a day or two as a guest star going to be entitled to, you know, be able to reap something? Or the, even if they're not playing the character 20 years later, if they use their image and they're not being, yeah, yeah. You know, what, what we're getting into it. really complicated, and the questions need to be asked now yeah. before later. And, um, you know, there needs to be some kind of at least, uh, you know, uh, understanding going forward that people are going to be compensated for their likeness, for the work that they create, for the characters that they create, uh, both the writers, the actors, um, uh, you know, they need to be compensated. It's just, yeah. it's just the way the business is going to go. There's going to be new ways yeah. to recreate stuff. And, um, Yeah. We're, that's what we're fighting and, for. And yeah, and we've had writer strikes. I mean, the 0708 writer strike. There was no Star Trek being produced aside from the first JJ movie. But a lot of the, the Star Trek writers and actors were out on the streets then. This is the first time we've had a actor strike with Star Trek existing. You know, but the thing I love just as just as a silver lining here. Go back. There was a writer strike in 1973 when they were launching the animated series on Saturday morning, and Dorothy Fontana was running it. And she has said after that that at the, the rules of the time were that all the writers who could not write for one hour, you know, their drama shows, they could write under the rules then for her animated series. So she got top-notch writers to do half-hour animate. So that was like a silver lining, but still, but still. They were fighting for something that year, and I, and I, and I think they got it. But, you know, we, we didn't even talk about actors appearing at conventions, which is a thing that, as we talk, is being settled. So... Yeah, the impacts on Star Trek of these strikes, it's part of our history, and we'll, we'll keep rolling with it. I hope it's always an upward, you know, an upward arc. Well, I mean, it has been thus far, 
and um, I, I believe that it'll continue to be. The, the, the key is, um, you know, to be resolute about what you're demanding and mm-hmm. and the solidarity in the union to stand behind each other to make sure that you know we're we're negotiating with fairly. So. Um, uh, you know, I stand with I stand with the writers. We were we we were at the uh, writers uh, strike mm-hmm. together not too long ago in support of them. And obviously, you know, people in my profession in my industry, I'm going to be standing behind as well. Right, right. At the the Star Trek Day, uh, which they pioneered in '07, and and now is a thing. Everybody has their theme days to get through this and and uh, suffer the sacrifice together because you know that's the greater good is what comes out on the other side so hopefully anyway srock thanks so much for jumping in and uh you know there's so many again history is the light by which we illuminate the future which is my favorite line from discovery by the way um (laughs) that is a great line (laughs) and here we are yeah 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 so thanks again for joining us we'll have to have you back sometime man. thank you larry i appreciate you all right Hey everyone, The Trek Files is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment, and all of our documents, oh, okay, and your chance to comment, and please do, are available at facebook.com slash thetrekfiles. For more deep diving of Star Trek behind the scenes, visit Dr. Trek and Portal 47, yeah, that's me, at larrynimichek.com. That's where you can also link in for all the new Trek Files swag and shirts, too, at our Tee Public shop. Trek well, everybody. This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.roddenberry.com.